Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. I am extremely happy today that we have Victoria McCooey, who is a narcissist divorce coach, extremely specific, along with being creator of the Reclaim Your Power system. So, Victoria, the very first thing I want to ask you is, why did you decide to specifically be a narcissist divorce coach? Well, first of all, Judith, thanks for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, The reason is because I had that specific experience myself. I was in a marriage to a very narcissistic spouse, and my divorce from him was not like anything I could ever have have imagined. And after time went on and I started um, feeling more powerful after having gone through the ringer, I wanted to give back. I wanted to help other people who were in that place where I was not having any idea that this even existed. It was a long time ago. So the word narcissist wasn't as mainstream then as it is now. So I really had no frame of reference for this. I had no uh, background in any of this. So I felt really alone. Uh, So I started doing volunteer work for the Coalition Against Domestic Violence, thinking I could help people who were in abusive relationships with narcissistic people, partners. Um, and that is what ultimately led me to create this coaching business where I help specifically people who are married to narcissistic spouses to help them, what, what I say is get strong and get out because it's really hard to get out when you're in that compromised state. What were the toughest aspects of getting divorced from a narcissist? they don't play by the rules. <laughs> so <laughs> the rules don't apply to them. You know, they feel that they're above the law. So whereas a normal person adheres to court orders, you know, uh, has a moral compass, <laughs> all these things that get us to a, a, a settlement, to a fair settlement agreement, it, it's a different playing field. You're, you're playing on a, on this crazy playing field that, that makes no sense to anyone. I, when I started in this business, I didn't know what narcissism was. I had um, family members, well, at least one in particular that was a narcissist, but I say a, a nice narcissist, although I understood that it was difficult to make plans. It was difficult to count on anything. The goalpost kept getting moved and you never felt like you were in control of yourself in the relationship or you could never count on that what was being planned for was ever going to happen. Am I getting... Absolutely, absolutely. I love the phrase move the goalpost because that's always the tactic. You know, well, if you do this, I'll do this. So we are wired to believe people when they say things like that to us. So we do X, expecting Y. It's like, well, no, that's not what I said. You have, you have to do this. And then, you know, we're just the crazy person chasing the carrot that they're dangling in front of us. We're never going to get it, though. So how did you eventually either figure out how to end and get divorced 
or what happened to help you end it? Well, this, I'm really going to date myself because when I was going through my divorce, I live in New York. New York was not a no-fault state. Oh, that's and, right. right. It was a you-have-to-prove-ground state. Right. And I had gone to attorney saying, I am in this, I mean, I didn't have any of the language, you know? I didn't know about this disorder. So I said, this is not right. You know, I, I make all this money, but I have no access to it. I, I, there's, I, I, I'm totally um, having to beg for my own money and uh, verbal abuse and in front of my kids and the language and, you know, uh, the control and all these things. And I said, you know, how do, how do I separate? First of all, I, my main goal was to separate financially because of the debt that I kept uncovering and things that were put in my name that I didn't even know about. So I initially went to an attorney saying, how can I separate myself financially from this person who's just like using my name and my social security number and I have no control over it? And he absolutely said, you can't. The only thing you can, you're married. The only thing you can do is get a divorce, but you can't get a divorce because you don't have grounds. Okay, my heart just sank when you said that. So you had to wait until you had grounds? Well, I didn't think I would ever have grounds. He said to me, well, just, you know, wait until eventually he'll hurt you. So wait till that and then come back and see me. So, you know, I, I honestly did not think my husband would ever hurt me. I really didn't. Um, but that's ultimately what happened. Physically hurt you? Is he choked me. And it was when I started trying to make some boundaries around, oh, sorry, I made the computer shake. I was trying to set some boundaries. I was trying to regain control of the money I earned. So that's fascinating. Because we've talked prior to this, I know that you shared with me that you were a high income earner, but you gave your money to him. He was in control of the money. So the fascinating aspect of this is, and this is for women, and we have a lot of women in a younger demographic, um, 30s, and then we have women 65 plus who listen to this podcast. And this can really uh, work with both age groups. So you as a woman who was able to earn a really good living how did it change once you got inside the house and gave your money to your husband? Where was the disconnect? In all I'll tell that? you, it was really simple. When we first married, and you know, all the experts when we were divorcing were like, did you not date very long? Like, did you not see any of these red flags? And it's like, no, we dated for two years. Like, this was not some spontaneous thing, but it was a very different scenario. He had a a lot of money, which I believed he was earning. It turns out I think a lot of it was embezzled from his family business, but he had access to lots of income and owned real estate properties and money was never an issue. I was the one who back then, you know, was struggling a little bit more, but you know, I had my own income. But when we, we immediately got pregnant, literally on my wedding night, so nine months later, I had my first baby. So when it got close to that nine-month mark, I stopped work. I was a freelance writer, I forgot to mention. So I didn't have a corporate job. I worked for myself. So I, 
had to stop working to have the baby. And then when, after the baby, you know, after a while, breastfeeding, whatever, I started to take projects, but then I got pregnant right away again. And I had three babies in three and a half years. So during that time, I didn't work very much. And it wasn't a problem. It was never a financial issue. But then when I did start making some money, all that time, he'd been paying for everything and controlling all the bills. So with my little bit of income, he would say, well, just give it to me and I'll just put it toward whatever. It made sense at the time. I was up to my eyeballs in diapers and bottles and you know whatever and working very little. So he was the breadwinner and he was controlling all the finances and paying the bills and making the, the decisions. It wasn't until much later when I started getting out of this baby fog that I started getting curious and he started demanding that I sign uh, loans, uh, sign for loans or home equity loans or uh, personal loans or whatever. And when I would push back, he would become abusive. Um, that's when it started. So abusive how? Not physically Verbally abusive, abusive. Yet, verbal. He would tell me, you know, I was stupid. I didn't understand. This was a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, all the money that he made. And this is what the, our family needed from me. And I wasn't contributing financially. So this is what I had to do to do my part because I had a great credit score. So he wanted to take advantage of that. And At first, it was like, yeah, yeah, of course, whatever, and I would do it. But then when it came uh, to the next one, which came right on the heels, and I said, well, you know, I can't pay this back. How is that going to work? And then I was berated for even questioning him, you know, and I didn't trust him and all the accusations like that. And then when it got to be more and more, and I started really putting my foot down saying, I will never be able to pay this back. I don't, I can't do this. That's when the real abusive behavior started. With that, uh, with that information, is trust used a lot when a narcissist wants to control uh, you, their partner, and belittling follows, don't you trust me? Is that kind of a hand in hand? I don't, I don't know that there's a step-by-step, although I often say they get a manual because they all do the same things. I don't know. It, it, whatever is going to serve their purposes in the moment. And let me tell you, they target the same people like me. Um, we're all the same. All the, all the um, spouses of narcissists who come to me for coaching we're all the same too. So I'm going to grab a title from one of your exceptional YouTube podcasts. I mean, I love your YouTube channel. So for anybody who after this podcast is over wants to listen to Victoria talk about very specific topics, it's it's Victoria McCooey. That's the name of your YouTube channel, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, these titles are great. Well, let's start with how do you how do you recognize narcissism and how are you attracted to a narcissist? All right. So typically they are very charismatic. Um, they're persuasive. A lot of times they'll be exciting. The bad boy maybe, you know, uh, they have grandiose 
visions of themselves, right? So that's very attractive to people like who I was back then. And like I say, I was the perfect target. Um, I had moved to New York from New Orleans after I went, I went to school in, at UVA, and then I moved to New York for a, a, a job in advertising. So I was very far away from my family. I was isolated. I didn't, this was well after that. So when we met, I guess I was 26 or 27. So I worked for myself. I was a freelance writer. I didn't have a community. I didn't have a group of people that I saw every day, right? So I was very alone and I was the perfect target. (laughs) Um, I was trusting. Um, I had low self-esteem, you know, all kinds of issues from, you know, whatever my childhood. Uh, So this is like, the perfect storm. He was confident and uh, successful, it looked like, and exciting and adventurous. And, you know, I just thought I was the luckiest girl in the world. What is love bombing? That's part of the profile of a narcissist, isn't it? It's a cycle. So the love bombing is how the cycle starts. You get sucked in because they have you on a pedestal. You're the best thing that ever happened. To someone like me, someone with low self-esteem, and you have this person just idolizing you. They don't want to spend a minute without you. Um, you're everything to them. All of a sudden, you're the center of their universe. Like It's just so flattering. Um, it's easy for us to get sucked into that. And then the discard comes the abusive behavior, uh, degrading you, telling you you're worthless. Um, They devalue you and then they discard you. But not until you're in more of a relationship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, You kind of can't get out. My love bombing lasted two and a half years. (laughs) And you got married. I got married. You know, I look back now and I see the, the turning point was right after I had that first baby. When you really were dependent on him. Love bombing is, just for those who have experienced it, isn't love bombing also defined as too much, too soon, over the top, something you want to see in the movies that everybody wishes for, but that's not real life. If it's too good to be true, (laughs) probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I, the love bombing issue is really interesting because every time I talk to somebody about that, and I experienced it once, and thank God I experienced it after I had all of this knowledge from the divorce business. So I, I said, oh, wait, this is love bombing. This is weird. I just met you 12 hours ago. Why am I getting all of this communication with hearts and flowers and emojis? That's love bombing. Yeah. And I spoke to another woman recently who had uh, gotten married later in life, later in life being 40s, because you know that is later in life for women. Very successful, lots of money. He had a little more, still lots of money. But he would be cooking dinner for her in her apartment when she got home. This doesn't normally happen till well into a relationship, not at the beginning. Am I right? Yes. Yes. I mean, for me, it was trips, adventures, like gifts, 
just, you know, it was over the top. I couldn't believe how generous, how much he like doted over me. Like he had all of, I'd never been treated like that before. I was like, oh, is this what other people get when they, you know? I don't know, but just as you're saying it, I'm feeling awfully good because <laughs> that's what people do. They feel awfully good. How do you really determine though that that is love bombing? How do you make the right decision? What if it's true love? Right. Well, because you have to look for red flags. And there were a million red flags that I chose to ignore because I loved the love bombing too much. I loved what I wanted it to be. So the more mature me can look back and go, wow, why didn't you run the other way? What, but, are, those, what are those red flags? Uh, lying, you know, getting caught in lies and not admitting it. Um, just under... Give me an example of a lie because I bet they're small. But when you look back, they shouldn't have been that small. Well, first of all, no one should tell lies. Let's no. Start with that, right? Okay. In well, here's a relationship. You don't lie. Here's one that I like. I'm almost embarrassed because I stuck around for this. He was. Uh, he had a. He had a home that he rented, um, lovely, and cars and toys and things. Um, and one day, I caught. I saw him at his home, I was visiting. I, I wasn't living there. I was visiting for the weekend or whatever. He had a spray, can, spray paint can and he was spraying the inside of the little glass, the windows on the garage doors. White. Okay. Like, what's this? It wasn't even, I mean, he's renting it. It wasn't really his. And he's like, I just don't want anyone looking in here. <laughs> All right. You know, something was threatening to be repossessed. What was, what was he avoiding, though? Do you know? Somebody trying to repossess a car or oh, a boat or something. Because yeah. all of the toys were not totally paid for. Right. Or, yeah, he was behind on payments, maybe? Well, I never got the whole story. But, you okay. know, he didn't want anyone looking into the garage. <laughs> And I kind of think that that's those little things, series of things like that. Why would you care if anybody looked in, right? What honestly, I had never possessed anything that was worthy of being repossessed at that point in my life. So interesting point. It never even occurred to me. Honestly, I was so young and naive. It was like, well, that's so weird. I thought. I just wrote it off as some idiosyncrasy, right? Okay, so I'm going through a list of your YouTube topics that I made under the heading, What Makes a Narcissist a Narcissist? So love bombing was one. Gaslighting. What is uh, gaslighting? Can I tell you my favorite gaslighting story? This is yes. great. Well, I mean, I get them from my clients or potential clients all day long, right? The crazy things that they will tell you and, and you believe and get you to believe them. Um, that, and you start thinking you're the crazy one for not thinking this way. He was picking me up at an intersection. If you're not a New Yorker, it's hard to understand, but I was working in the city. He lived on Long Island. I really didn't know Long Island. He um, had a business in Queens. He told me to take the subway from the city out to Queens where he was going to pick me up. I've never been here before. It is a very big, he tells me, get very specific, get off of this intersection, 
and go to the whatever northwest corner of the intersection and I'll pick you up there. This is huge. And the amount of people and, you know, that I'm getting, and this is before cell phones or, you know, anything like that. So who the heck knows what the Northwest intersection is versus. I figured it out. You know, I figured out which one was the Northwest intersection, whatever. And, you know, it's not the best area. It was kind of, kind of shady. And it wasn't, and here I am like with all my blonde hair and you go walking around. Um, It wasn't the best place for me to be, but I, I get off at that intersection and I find my spot and I wait there. I wait there half an hour. I wait there 45 minutes. He's not there. So, of course, no cell phones. I'm thinking, I, I start getting agitated. And this is how much I was already being abused because I got scared and nervous because I knew somehow it was my fault. I knew somehow this was going to be my fault that I did something wrong. because. You were going to be blamed. I was going to be blamed for this. Okay. So I'm starting to get really, like, my Achilles heel is my stomach. So whenever I get anxious, nervous, whatever, it's my stomach. So I'm now having stomach pains. I'm, like, really anxious. So I'm like, I better go check. Maybe I have the wrong intersection. And so big. And there's so many cards. You can't see anything. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is not the Northwest corner. So I start crossing these huge highways of streets to go to every corner to look. And I'm all the way at the opposite. So if it's Northwest, the Southeast, whatever corner, and not on the corner, but way down the street, I see his car way down there. Like I could never have seen the car from where I was. And I walk all the way down there and he's just sitting there calm as could be. This is now close to an hour after we said we would meet. And I got in the car nervous that I'm going to get blamed. And he's just really calm. He goes, oh, what took you so long? I said, I I was on the northwest corner. I've been there for like an hour. And he goes, oh, so, you know, you didn't see the police car there? And I said, no, I didn't notice. And he said, well, yeah, there was a police car there. And you know my registration's expired, so anyone else would have realized that I would be at the opposite corner. Oh, my. This is just a normal thing that you would know. Oh, my. First of all, I didn't know his registration was, like, how would I know any of this? And Um, I didn't even see, I mean, the whole thing, I'm going, I, this is like me, this is, I should have figured that out, like, what? And I didn't even challenge it. Like, he was so convincing that this would be a normal thought pattern. And there was something wrong with me for not getting there. I'm speechless. I know. I'm normally not speechless. I am speechless. I do believe I knew somebody like that a million years ago. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Right? I know. For those (laughs) listening, for those listening, I know you have had to have had this experience. I just find that fascinating how easy it is for somebody to maintain that level of control. And it's like the carpet is being pulled out from under you when you least expect it. Right. And he really did leave me in a pretty dangerous situation for a long time, you know, and it was, it was 
evening, not night, but it was like after work evening. It wasn't the, it wasn't safe. It wasn't a safe place for me to be standing on a corner for an hour. Why do we, and I'll put myself in there, human beings, we can all be influenced um, when we least expect it, if we're not on our toes. Why do we continue to allow that to happen? Does it go back to the self-esteem always? I think How so. How do we know if we have low self-esteem? I didn't realize I did. Now I, now I realize I did because I've recovered. So how, when you talk to your clients and just the general public, what are, what, how should we know whether we have low self-esteem or high self-esteem? Well, we work on, that's part of my program, we work on rebuilding the self-esteem that's been whittled away through this abusive behavior. Uh, it necessarily will be whittled away, you know, when you, you're told systematically. I say it's like a slow drip, you know, you don't really see it happening it's like water carving into stone. It happens slowly over time. And, um, you know, there was one incident. He used to love, they all love to um, get you isolated. So if you're in a car alone with them, that's like the perfect time for them to just brainwash you, you know, try to work on you because there's no escape. You can't walk away. Um, Mine used to be the bathtub. That was like my sanctuary. That was like where I'd go to escape the craziness. And there was no lock on the door. And even if there was, he would have broken it. But he would always come in and just... Hammer at you. Yeah, just do... Take do your focus it. away from the reason why you're there, which is to regenerate. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, you know, I've got these, I have three kids all one after the other. I would probably just have gotten everybody to bed and I would just need a minute, right? Just a minute. And that was, and he would just like at my lowest point and he would just hammer away at whatever it was he was trying to hammer away. And anyway, this one night I remember was like really near the end where I was at my breaking point and he came in and he was out to really make sure I thought I was worthless. And um, he started telling me how no one likes me. My mother doesn't love me. <laughs> Just these nonsensical things that intellectually, you know, they're not true. But they're just said to you over and over and over until you just like, it seeps in. It just seeps in. It makes you feel this big. Okay, so I want to go back to the car and queens situation. <laughs> you know that you have low self-esteem and you know you're with somebody who is completely unhealthy for you, more than likely a narcissist, with sociopathic risings. I mean, what you described is sociopathic as well. No regard for rules or laws. There are varying degrees of narcissists because I just said we have a nice narcissist. In this yeah. <laughs> okay, but I want to go back to, because I'm a problem solver as a mediator, so I always have to <laughs> figure things out. You know you have low self-esteem if you were the person in that car that had waited an hour in a not-so-great area of town, and then for some reason you see the car down the road, you get in, and you are told, well, of course you would know that I wasn't there. Didn't you see the police car? And of course you should have looked a block or two away. If you don't say, what the F are you talking about? 
and get the pluck out of the car, you have low self-esteem. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. There you go. <laughs> yes. And women by nature are, have a very tough time speaking up for themselves in general. Because haven't you, I think every woman has, has situations where maybe a man is standing too close to you. Maybe you're in a business transaction and the man puts his hand on you, you know, on your hand, on your wrist. All touching is inappropriate. Why do we have such a hard time saying, please stop We don't that. want to hurt feelings. We, we're so empathetic. We don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Meanwhile, we're furious that, how dare you touch me? I didn't invite you to do that. So that's seething inside of you. Then he goes away and you're like, dang, I hate myself for not saying something. Now if I have to see him again, I what know. am I supposed to do? Listen, I mean, it's getting easier, I think, for women. I'm, I'm dating myself again. I was working in an advertising agency. It was very much like Mad Men. You know, I was 20-nothing years old, and I was an assistant, assistant, assistant. And, you know, I'm sitting there at the typewriter, and men, the men I worked for would just come over, kiss my neck like lift my hair and kiss me on the back of the neck, like, like slobber on me. And I would just like swap them away, you know, like, ha ha. <laughs> right. And I know other strong women, a really good friend of mine, an attorney, uh, when she worked for a larger firm out of, um, out of college, out of law school, her boss would walk down the hall with her and put her, his hand on her, on her behind, and she would have to laugh it off because she just didn't have the. T and she's a strong one, a strong woman in court, beats everybody in court. But when it comes to our own personal space, our own personal image, it is so difficult for us. First of all, you're in shock that somebody's even doing that to you, right? Well, you know, it was 1980. Two, whatever. <laughs> so there were no rules. I know. Oh no, this is horrible. Okay, this is good. <laughs> hoovering. What is hoovering? When they suck you back in, like a vacuum cleaner. Oh, it's, you know, right. So they uh, love bomb you, devalue you, discard you, and then they suck you back in. So in the discarding means there's kind of a lull in the in the love bombing. You're you're kind of moving away on your own. You're hurt. You're confused. Mm -hmm. And then they see that they're losing control, and they hoover you back in. Yes. So this data shows that women. I mean, this is just data on women um, in relationships with narcissistic men are sucked back in on average seven times before they leave for good. They seven go around times. that cycle seven times. That's on a lot of times. Seven times over a period of a year or two? Oh, over whatever, the lifetime of the cycle, of the um, relationship. Okay. When they try to leave, That's then lot. they got sucked back in. Um, I don't know if I should say, my own mother uh, was in court divorcing or maybe in a conference divorcing my father when I was young 
and was sucked back in there at, you know, so she went back and it was a very long time before she was able to divorce. To again. really disconnect. Yeah. And we're talking about smart people, smart women, women who can work and support themselves. And it that's and that's the thing I think, Victoria, that's so misleading to us because we have outside of that relationship, we know we're good. So here's another layer of that. It's part of the reason because we're smart because we're over, overachievers basically most of us were um that's part of the the profile um you know the straight a student the list maker the box checker like all the things we do all the things um we're embarrassed we don't talk about it we're too ashamed because we don't fail that's right yeah that's right uh is such a cycle. The last just um, profile piece on what makes a narcissist is there's a thing called narcissistic supply that you address. What is narcissistic supply? That's their fuel. That's what feeds them. That's what they're after, the control. Knowing that they control your emotions, control your life, control your actions, control every aspect of, of you or they can hurt you. That's how they get fed. That's what allows them to feel in control and functional, I guess. Because yeah, without actually, that, wait a minute, without that, it would be like the Wizard of Oz. Everybody was scared of the Wicked Wish to the West until by accident, wasn't it the lion, the cowardly lion that threw water or the scarecrow, one of them, on the Wicked Witch of the West and watched her melt? That's what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because so many, also from The Wizard of Oz, is where we get the term flying monkeys. Yes. Well, what does flying monkeys mean? Though? Flying monkeys is when um, typically in a divorce from a narcissist, when you start, when it becomes obvious that you're pulling away, that you're trying to leave, the narcissist will enlist all the people closest to you to their side. They'll tell the story that they're the victim, that they're trying to help you. You're crazy. You're abusive. You're the bad guy. And they're trying. They're so hard and they really need their help so that you, they, they look at you like, you see, see what I can do? I can take everyone away from you. You have no one. An extremely brilliant friend slash colleague of mine who is married to a narcissist, I mean, Harvard graduate, that happened to her. When she finally got the courage to leave, all of a sudden, she had no friends. They steered clear. And when, when somebody finally explained to her, well, I just didn't know who to believe. And he was saying X, Y, Z. And it sounded true. And then she started seeing that, that that had been happening all the way around. Right. Oh, so, lordy days. What mine did, this is almost unspeakable, but I'm so over the whole thing now, and I use what happened to me to help other people. This is really shameful, and I hope it will 
somebody fall on the right ears, fall on someone who really needs to be able to speak this to someone because it's what I'm sharing is so extremely shameful. Um, mine, when I actually, he choked me and I called the police and he was arrested. Um, and then he had to tell a story because he couldn't let that be known. Right. So he told a story that I had made this whole thing up that I made up being choked that I made the whole, now the police came because someone else called them actually somebody, a neighbor heard a ruckus and called. And anyway, I, I did call after not knowing the police had already been called. They arrested him because they later told me they saw his handprint on my throat still. And they, whether I wanted to make an arrest or not, they were compelled to because of the laws. Oh, thank God. So this was not up for, this was not an issue. This was not up for debate. He choked me there in front of my children. There were witnesses, like there was no oh, doubt, oh, but God. he told everyone, all of my closest friends that I had made this whole story up because I was crazy because my father had raped me when I was a child. And so I was crazy and made up this story. I didn't know he was saying this. I had friends calling me going, we don't care if it's true or not. We just want you to know he's going around saying this and whatever. We support you. Like he made up just the most horrifyingly shameful, horrible thing to make his side, his story believable. So I'm telling that it's hard because there are probably a lot of people out there who heard it and believe it. You know, how am I going to, I don't even know who he told. Um, he told the forensic psychologist who was uh, interviewing us for our, our uh, we were in a custody battle. He told him that and he came to me with it and I was like, it's not true. He goes, well, even if it is true, I'm like, but it's not true. Like even planting the seed makes people wonder, you know, it was just. That like, is true. Even planting a seed. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to get to this next part. Now that we have uh, a profile in some, in many respects of a narcissist, you already said what, what a narcissist looks for. Let's go on the other side of that. Why? Well, I guess it is the same thing. Why do you attract a narcissist? So you did say um, isolated, low self-esteem. Easily controlled, easily manipulated. Um, we play by the rules, obey laws. We're rule followers. We're, you know, we're, we're do-gooders. We're straight arrows. We, we're so... It's so easy to um, upset us into or make us nervous enough to make us do something, right? It, it's like we're, we're, we're so, we're good girls. <laughs> we're so why good girls. don't good girls also attract good guys? Why do good girls also attract? Why don't they? Or do, don't they? do good girls attract both? Do good girls attract good guys and bad guys and choose the bad guys over the good guys? 
Is that the way this works? Not, not all of us, but like I said, the low self-esteem, the love bombing, okay. the, oh my gosh, this is the too good to be true scenario. Um, because the bad guys will fill up what you need as a low self-esteem individual faster than a good guy. A good guy will take his time. We'll do the normal thing, get to know you, have conversation, share ideas, want to meet the family. These are normal traits of people, right? Right. Well, I'm in a unique position to tell, to compare, right? Because I had this really unhealthy, toxic marriage, and now I have a completely healthy partnership of a marriage, you know? So... Thank God, I get to see both sides. And I think that helps me convey that to my clients who, you know, I, I, only, I don't only know this one scenario, right? I know what it can be and what it's supposed to be and what you strive for it to be. So I think if I were just, had only had that one experience, it would be hard for me to know just how toxic it really was. So what is, what's the hallmark of a good relationship? How does it start? Well, it's, it's a partnership. Um, I had, I went to, I'm Catholic. I went to a priest uh, when this first happened. Uh, my incident, my mother calls it the incident. And um, he told me, well, your, your husband has already been here um, to tell his side of the story because he was not very religious, but he knew I was close to the priest. So he tried to get in there ahead of me. And he goes, it's my experience. The first one in is the guilty party. <laughs> but he also said, um, I want you to get an annulment because this wasn't a marriage. I'm like an annulment. I have three children. And he goes, Nope, this was never a marriage because a marriage is a partnership and you never had a partnership. So wow, that's interesting from the priest. Yes, it was. Um, so that is sort of my my hallmark. It's a partnership. So what makes it it what makes it right is that you each have your own. Yes, you have goals as a couple, as a family, whatever. But you also have your individual goals. You have your individual things you want to achieve. You know, uh, individuality and your partner should be your biggest cheerleader, you know, support you that way, but it's not responsible for you, right? Wants to make things easier for you if they can, like if you have a deadline and, you know, so they get dinner or, you know, help out that way, but you're not responsible for your partner's achievements or, or failures or, um, happiness, you know, you're not responsible. Everybody's responsible for themselves. We're adults. That's a mature marriage, I think, a mature relationship. Where, yeah. Mutual respect, no yeah. littling, right, no dismissing. Right. Okay, I understand. All right, now that we've identified characteristics of a narcissist, and uh, thank you for sharing some of your, of your really important personal stories. Let's talk about how to get out of this relationship. And you said something with, within this context, Victoria, you had said something to me when, when I first spoke with you and you said, 
I really do think if you want to use the value of what a divorce coach can do, call the coach before you file. Call the coach before you leave. Call the coach and let the coach help you start uh, unwinding your life a little bit. So can you please address that and how you start unwinding? I even have clients who are convinced they do not want a divorce for lots of myriad of reasons, but they need this coaching and support to try to extract themselves emotionally from the abuse, you know, even though for, you know, various reasons, um, they don't feel that a divorce would be the right answer for them, at least right now. So yeah, it's, what you don't know is how once you file for divorce, it becomes a runaway train. Um, you know this. It's it, it. A lot of it comes gets out of your control very quickly. You know there are lawyers involved. There's a court involved. Sometimes there are other experts involved. Um, so you need to stay in the driver's seat. But sometimes there are things that are out of your control. This is hard for a person who's completely well and whole and capable. It's nearly impossible for a person who's so damaged by having been through this abuse for probably years or decades even, right? So I think it would behoove people to start doing the work, start getting some information and knowledge and understanding of the dynamic to to start the healing process. You're not going to heal all the way before you have to go through with a divorce, but you're going to start making some headway and start seeing it, start being able to shift your mindset a little bit um, to what, what it is. And hopefully it'll keep you from being sabotaged, which is their incentive. They're incentivized to sabotage if you're the one trying to leave. Not all narcissists become physically aggressive, do they? No. Okay. If you fear that there might be some physical aggression because there's been a threat of it. How do you start disassociating yourself and not get hurt? Well, you have to be ready to call for help. You have to be ready to call the police if there is threatening behavior, um, if there are threats, if there's harassment, if there's intimidation, you know, that's abuse. and you have to show the narcissist that you're going to act. Okay. Look, it happened to me that he actually did become physical and I never thought it would happen, but he did. And because of the circumstances that, you know, I needed grounds for divorce, it it was a gift. I couldn't have left if he hadn't done that back then. I'm not saying you should want to be hurt, but, you know, it, it was the best outcome for me. Otherwise, I could still be married to him. Okay. So there's a couple things that become uh, challenges when you have to leave. Money. You need money to live. It's great if you have a family you can go to. It's great if you have family and friends who can loan you money. But what if you don't have any of that? It's a real problem. Um, The very first thing I help people realize they need to do 
is to find the money, is to start stashing money, figure out who you can borrow money from, try to earn money um, that they don't know about. It's, it is a real problem, but there is something called a temporary um, support, temporary relief, emergency relief, pendente lite. There are different names for it, depending on where you are. Different states, right. But you have to have, you'd have to have filed for the divorce first yes. in order to get that yes. help from the yes. court. And it should be not immediate. But the help has to come from him. Yeah. So how do you get him to pay? You don't. A court does. <laughs> He's never going to pay you willingly. You know what, Victoria? This this is fascinating to me. And this is about the California court system. I don't know how it is in New York, and you can speak to this in a second. But the interesting thing about the California court system is they can make all the orders they want. They have no enforcement. Mm. They literally can't go in and get money out of his bank account. Um, if, if there's child support orders out there, child support services can be the enforcement arm. But if there are no children, well, like, you know what? It's easier if there are no children. It's easier to leave. The hard part is when there, there are children. And now, what if the kids are in school? You know, they still have to go to school. What are you going to do? What if you are in a situation where working would be the worst thing you can do because then he really would get crazed. Well, maybe that's the best thing, like he choked you. You know, there is no formula. There's no perfect solution, one-size-fits-all solution, right? The thing that that people need to remember is that this is all a part of the self-esteem building too. You're going to be able to figure it out. Right. No matter. You have to get to that place where you're confident enough to know you're not the first person to ever leave a situation like this. Right. I did it every I talk to people all day long who are doing it. You're going to figure it out. And that is why you need to rebuild your self-esteem and get that confidence. That's why my program is called Reclaim Your Power. You know, you have to know that you're scrappy enough, you're smart enough, you're resourceful enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to go the distance. It's not going to be easy, but it will, it will happen. If you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, there may, you may have to course correct, you may make a mistake, but you will persevere and you will be free. I agree with you on that. I really do agree with you. I think in any situation first you have to be centered with what you want to do. You have to have the conviction to do, and then you will start being creative. You will start figuring things out. You'll see resources where you never saw them before. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And you know, I don't, depending on where in the world you are, there are agencies, there are people there, but you have to start the motion. You have to start the ball rolling. You have to talk to people. You have to reach out. You have to, uh, watch these podcasts. You have to watch YouTube videos. You have to get information. You have to get coaching if you can. You have to talk to relatives, close friends, confidants. You have to make plans. You have to start thinking of your escape plan. And something just occurred to me while you were saying that, and that is, if you do research on the internet, don't do it in your house. Don't leave a trail 
Right. Because I, I bet a narcissist, in order to maintain control, is kind of looking at your phone, is looking at your recent history on Google. Do you think that is something to think about and be aware of? It is. It is. But, you know, looking back, even if, even if, it's like if it were me now, I mean, me then, I'll tell you the story about how scared I was of him, but me now, I wouldn't care. I go, yep, that's what's happening. <laughs> you know, I would just, because I know that it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to get out. And there's nothing he can do to, to stop me. Okay. Now, um, there's one other, you've done videos on this or YouTube uh, shows on this. And that is, how do you... You really did some research. (laughs) First of all, you were so delightful to talk to when we did our pre-interview. And um, I do really love your YouTube channel. I I think you you have... There's so many um, podcasts or shows that you've done and they're short. They're not all 30 and 60 minutes long. So you put a lot of information in a five minute piece, which I was really impressed with. And this is important. There's more of this going around than people think. So you said it well earlier that you are in a community. You just don't have that defined community in front of you with meetings you can go to, which we should have those, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, How do you outsmart the narcissist? How do you communicate? Because communicating is part of outsmarting. And it's so important the way we communicate. We can either make things worse or outsmart and leave the narcissist speechless. Some tips? Yes. Um, a client came to me yesterday and said, and she had hired an attorney and she didn't want her husband to know. And she said, oh, you know, it's so hard for me to lie to him. What do I say? What if he asks me if I hired an attorney? I said, how about saying, why did you? And just turn it back on him. Right. Why do you want to know? Did you like love that? Right. So it's hard in the moment, but you know, we come up with, a list of go-tos that feel good to them that they can imagine coming out of their mouth. And then they sort of memorize, you know, they just keep reviewing it so that it's top of mind. Listen, when you're in the home with your abuser, it's hard to stay focused on what's the response I'm supposed to give. You know, we get brain fog. I know there's a lot, you've watched the, the videos on brain fog. That's real. I mean, I could go on and on, you know, but we get compromised physically too, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, like every kind of way. Um, We're in fight or flight for such an extended time that our body starts to break down. You know, it's the, this chemical makeup is not intended to be for prolonged periods of time. It's supposed to be an adrenaline rush to save your life. And then, you're supposed to go back to your normal body chemistry. We stay in that altered state for so long that it's it starts wearing our organs down. I mean, it can lead to all kinds of things, but one of the first, what? <laughs> no, I was going to say, without a doubt, stress changes us, changes the way we look, definitely 
results in health conditions because we weren't meant to be in stress all the time. And unfortunately, you're always in a stressful condition when you're with anybody that has a personality disorder, a high conflict personality. Right. So if someone had come to me back then and told me, oh, well, you should meditate. You should go for walks. You should uh, eat better and drink more water and less alcohol, I would go like, what? No, I'm stressed. I'm going to eat junk food, drink wine, and lie in bed. Like, that's all I'm going to do, right? (laughs) But it is really a thing. Like, you know, this is uh, part of this program I was telling you about offline that I'm developing. Um, let's Let's say what the program is. It's phenomenal. So it's, a, it's an online course that you can do on your own um, where I take you through a six-week period day every day. There is a task, exercise, something that you have to do. So I take you through six weeks of, it's like boot camp to get ready to do this. Is it under the Reclaim Your Power umbrella, or is there a different name for it? It's called, well, it's, we're doing this a little bit earlier, so it hasn't launched yet, so this is the, drum roll please, this is the name of it, it's called Narcissist Divorce Diet. Oh my. You are, it is everything you should be consuming, and everything you should be getting rid of in order to be ready to go the distance in a divorce from a narcissist. So yeah, we talk about what you're eating, what you're, how you're exercising, sleeping, meditating, all those things. It's not just that it's also getting documents ready and finding the things that might go missing once the divorce is happening, right? Getting your hands on things. It's about figuring out which lawyers to interview what questions to ask. It's all the preparation that you need to do to get your mind, body, and soul ready for what you're about to to start because it's hard and long. Anytime we exercise and eat well. Okay, so I'm Catholic too. And Lent is always one of those times where we tend to punish ourselves. So I give up sugar, which is my favorite food group known to mankind. But how amazing my face looks. The circles aren't under my eyes when I eliminate sugar. And exercising in the morning, even if you don't run and do heavy stuff, I'm always better during the day for my clients and for me. And so... Taking care of your health is wonderful. I want to just address one thing before we go, because this hour has gone by already within a couple minutes. I want to address one thing, and that is kind of under outsmarting the narcissist and not rocking the boat. So on the other side of outsmarting the narcissist is you want to keep it as calm as possible so that you can move forward and accomplish things. And I didn't know I was dealing with a narcissist, but two examples. I was with a family where dad was a narcissist and mom was highly emotional, a very reactive mom. 
there were two small children, five and three years old. The five-year-old had a piano recital to go to, and it was on a Sunday, so nobody was working. And I was with them. Uh, Everybody knew what time they had to leave. Everybody knew where the piano recital was going to be. We're all in the car at the appointed time to leave, but dad is upstairs just beginning the shower. This is not an unusual, I want to control the time and make all of you crazy. And it doesn't really bother me because I am who I am. I'm self-involved. Okay. So I said to mom, who was completely freaking out, as was the daughter, five years old, didn't want to be late. I said, look, you have many cars here. He knows where it is. The address has been on the refrigerator and he's taken her there. Why don't you just call upstairs and just say, honey, don't make him wrong. Honey, we're going to go now because we can't be late for the rehearsal and we totally look forward to seeing you. That easy. You haven't made him wrong. You now are getting your own control back. That's excellent advice. And it happens all the time to people. All the time. All the time. Um, we, my middle son was making his first communion, all these Catholic references today. So we're, uh, and we were having a party after. And, you know, all my, my family is in from out of town. His family's coming. We have friends. It was, you know, we were making a big event out of it. So I'm up at the crack of dawn cooking all this stuff. And, you know, my mother's staying with us. We're getting the kids ready. He decides minutes before it's time to go that he needs to go to the nursery and buy more potted plants for the porch because it'll look better when we take pictures after. We're about to leave to go to the church. And he took the car (laughs) to go. There was only one car. Oh, my God. What did you do? I borrowed a car. And I just left. Yeah. And then what happened when he came home? No cell phone, he, right? he met us late. At the, he was convinced it wasn't going to take that long. He would be able to come back in time. And I just got, I just borrowed my neighbor's car and I just went. And uh, he figured it out and met us at the church. I didn't say a thing. Okay, cool. Was yeah. he furious? Uh, he would not be furious in front of all those people. Was he furious when you got home alone and everybody was asleep? It was much, much later. Because we had a house full of people and, you know, it, it kind of lost its steam by that point. Oh, okay. It was diffused a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. It's, but that was at the very end of our relationship. I didn't have the wherewithal to have done that earlier. You know, that was when I was starting to get more powerful. It takes time. Yeah. It really, doesn't it? It just takes time. Yeah. To figure it all out. But this is what I would like to leave with and then I, I want again for people to be able to get in touch with you so we're going to do this I want people to know that you really have to think about your communication that's your biggest tool is the way you talk you can diffuse situations by the way you communicate I mean I deal with this in mediation all the time I love the art of communication and it is an art we are not taught how to do this. So we have, to, we have to be in very difficult situations before we start learning 
how to talk to difficult people. It's exhausting, but once you learn it, I go back to Outsmarting the Narcissist, one of your other podcast videos, because I love that. You have to do it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I reference the Stepford Wives a lot, you know, which is sort of like, <laughs> you're not really there. You know, I say channel your best Stepford Wife. Like, oh, okay. I Maybe I'll think about it. Like, That's you know, brilliant. No, that's really brilliant. We can do that. You just gave an excellent model to follow. And that would suit the narcissist. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is say yes, honey. Because mm-hmm. they're not that smart. No, and um, you can't argue. You know, they're, just, they're looking to argue, and you just don't take the bait. It's like, mm, okay, whatever. Even if you have no intention... <laughs> and it throws them off guard if you don't argue, if you don't act as a victim, if you don't whine or. Right. You, you, um, you know, there are things that works, not just me, but everybody in the space says to say, like, um, I, I understand that that's your opinion or, you know, I, I agree that that is what you think. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. Right. That's really good. Victoria, we could go on and on. I know, I know. We didn't get to that. I want people to really look at with your videos. If you have children, you talked about parallel parenting and parental alienation. So completely and totally important. You really go through the courage to leave um, what you need to know to divorce a narcissist and just the communication piece. But I mean, there's like a hundred. I, I, I lost track of how many you have. Yeah, I've been at this for a while. <laughs> well, it's, and you've covered so much and more things come up. And so I want people to know that your YouTube channel, Victoria McCuey, um, can be their little reference guide and they don't have to have hours to sit down and do research. The way it's laid out, you go, do, 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 do. Oh, good, that's the topic I'm looking for, five minutes, six minutes, and you know, you're know you now a little bit more ahead. So let's, tell, let's give people all the different ways for them to get in touch with you and I want you to say what's coming up in September okay. again. Okay, so my website is just victoriamacui.com. Uh, it's very simple. Everything is Victoria McCooey. My Instagram, my TikTok. I do have a, an amazingly large TikTok uh, following, which is how many amazing. do you have? How many? Tw- wait, twenty. I wish twenty thousand. Oh, twenty. You said twenty million. This interview's over. No, that's no, like no. that's now that's Kardashian stuff. <laughs> no, not that. Not that big. I have. 28.7 thousand followers. Yeah. I have um, a video that's now 755,000 views. So it's oh getting close to a million. Wait, which video is that? What's the name? It's a video called Narcissists Are Smart, But You're Smarter. Love it. Narcissists are smart, but you're smarter. This is all going to go in the show notes, but just for people <laughs> now, before we air this, I'd love for them to avail themselves of your material now. So so here's what you can do right off the bat. You can book an initial session with me. You can go to my website, Instagram, TikTok, all the links, all those places have the link. 
it'll say initial session. Um, it's a $20 session, which if you ever bought any coaching or products from me would be a buy. Right. It's really to keep the spaces available for the people who really want them. Um, so there's that. Then also, as I mentioned, I have this program coming out, which is a do it yourself program that you can do in your own time at your own speed, but it is set up in a calendar format where you click on each day for six weeks and it will deliver the content to you that you need for that day. Um, yeah. So it's sort of, like I said, a boot camp for getting all the things ready mentally, emotionally, financially, every kind of way. Um, so that is like a, a really big bang for the buck. And then I have one-on-one coaching. Victoria, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Are you kidding? This was great. And this is one of the hottest topics in divorce today is narcissism. It's kind of a sign of the times. I am told by a gentleman named Bill Eddy, who is the guru of high conflict communication. And he's just saying, yes, the personality, popular personality disorders change as a reflection of society. And I think we might have become a very narcissistic society, a very self-indulgent society, which is why uh, the topic of narcissism within the divorce community is the biggest topic and the hardest one to deal with. So hats off to you for addressing it and making it your passion and your life's work. Thank you so much for that. Thanks again for having me. It was a delight to be here. Absolute pleasure. And you are invited back. And we'll take one or two aspects of this whole topic because you can't do it in an hour. No, I know. No, it's too much. It's too much. So thank you again. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I know that you got valuable information out of this. If there is a topic that you would like me to address, you can reach me through my email, Judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com Judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com This is a great episode for you to share. It probably will benefit people you don't even think it will benefit. But as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 